So we've been talking about forgiveness, the divine gift of forgiveness. And what I wanted to talk about the last couple of weeks is the secret is to let the forgiver into my life. So one, we've talked about partnering with Christ. And remember how sometimes we don't open that door? Last week we talked about, remember Jesus, were you, you were, no, you were here. Okay, I was thinking it was the, the <clears throat> do you remember how we talked about knocking at the door and sometimes we're terrified to let him in? And then we finally do. How long is the journey he's wanting to take us on? Is this just a quick friendship we passed in the night? Or is it his intention to carry us a great distance in the future? So I want to talk about that journey. I, I picked at him, does the journey seem long? Do sharp rocks cut your feet? The idea is, if I'm going to partner with Christ, if I'm going to make him a partner, the invitation is to make him a partner for life. Now, if I'm going to follow Jesus, where's he taking me? Will it all be up? Is it sunshine, roses, and green pastures he's going to take me to? Where will that journey take me? There will be highs and there will be lows. If I'm going to follow Christ, doesn't that suggest I'm going to go through my own Gethsemanes? So I want to talk about the journey. I want to end the class by saying, where are we going? Where is the destination? And what is it that he wants to do? Is he a quick fix? Or is he a long-term with you till the end friend? So I thought might be enjoy. I love C.S. Lewis. I love the writings of C.S. Lewis. I just, he speaks to my soul. And I know this is a little bit of a lengthy quotation. I'll, I'll pull it up here so we can read it together. But I just, I think this just so typically describes for me this whole idea of the divine gift of forgiveness is not a one-time shot. Um, the divine gift of forgiveness is the journey of a lifetime. And it's going to take a lifetime. So let me read this. I, I, I do this to format it for my quotation, but I don't want it to get all jumbled. So we'll just go nice and slow, make sure everyone can read. Ready? C.S. Lewis said, I find a good many people have been bothered by our Lord's words, quote, be ye perfect. I don't know if you've ever been bothered by be ye perfect. Some people seem to think this means, quote, unless you're perfect, I won't help you. And I know a lot of people that take it that way. When you're per open up the door when everything's clean inside and then I'll help you. That he expects me to be perfect and then he'll help me. And as we cannot be perfect, then if he meant that our position is hopeless. But I do not think he meant that. Meaning, I don't think he meant, if you're not perfect, I won't help you. I think he meant, the only help I will give you 
is help to become perfect. You may want something less, but I will give you nothing less. Let me explain. Do you see where he's going with this? When I open up that door and I partner with Christ, where does he intend to take me? Perfection. That's a long journey, and he's willing to make it. He is not saying you have to be perfect in order to be my friend. What he's saying is our friendship, I am going to take you to perfection. That's where we're going. And I know it's a long ways away, and I'm okay with that. Are you? That's what he's saying. I intend, I don't mean to be Christ, but Christ is saying he intends to take us that long journey. Let me explain. So we'll pick it up. Let me explain. When I was a child, I often had toothache. I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me go to sleep. But I did not go to my mother. At least not till the pain became very bad. The reason I did not go was this. I didn't doubt that she would give me aspirin. But I knew that she would do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I couldn't get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediately relief from the pain but I couldn't get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about all sorts of other teeth, which hadn't even begun to ache. Now, if I may put it that way, our Lord is like the dentist. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of one particular sin, which they're ashamed of, or which is obviously spoiling daily life. Well, he'll cure it all right. But he will not stop there. That may be all you asked. But once you call him in, once you open that door, he's going to give you the full treatment. That's why he warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says, if you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for. Nothing less or other than that. You have free will, and you, if you choose, you can push me away. But if you don't push me away, understand that I am going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you in your earthly life, whatever inconceivable purification it may cost you after death, whatever it costs me, I will never rest nor let you rest until you are literally perfect. Until my father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you as he said he was well pleased with me. This I can do. And will do, but I will not do anything less. Is he capable of fixing all your broken parts, all your attitude problems, all your sins? Is he capable 
of saving you and taking you all the way. That's where we're going. Do you understand the journey? That's where you are going if you open that door and let him in. You can't do it on your own, but he can. And he's saying, I'm going to take you all the way. Whatever it costs, I'm willing to pay it. He, I love this. I can. This I can do and will do. But I will not do anything less. And yet, this helper who will in the long run be satisfied with nothing less than absolute perfection will also be delighted with the first feeble stumbling effort you make tomorrow to do the simplest duty. Every father is pleased at the baby's first attempt to walk. How, now, to think about that, what do dads do when a baby takes a first step? Films it. It's on social media. He shows everyone. Look at how excited I am. My son took a step. Now, is he satisfied? Okay, we're done. I'm done helping my son. No. And Heavenly Father's the same way. He was so excited. The first step you took, he's cheering. But he's not done, is he? But he cheers us on. He doesn't dis he's not disappointed when we stumble, but he helps us get back up. Every, is, every father is pleased at the baby's first attempt to walk. However, no father would be satisfied with anything less than a firm, free, manly walk in a grown-up son. In the same way, I think this is one of the best things C.S. Lewis ever wrote. God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Why? You, that, you smile. Tell me why, Brittany. Like, because he's, I don't know. So, he's so happy at the simplest things. He's so happy at the simplest things. And yet, he wants another one. And then another. And another. Is he willing to go the whole journey with me? Absolutely. Easy to please, but hard to satisfy. Michael. He's trying to say that, right? It's so important. God smiles at the small step. Smallest step. It doesn't matter whether it's the first prayer you say, whether it's the first scripture you read. It doesn't matter if it's you getting baptized honestly in a different church at first. What he cares about right, is that first step towards him, right? The first step the child made to stand up. And then, of course, hard to satisfy because in the end, satisfaction is that you've reached the goal. We are going to the end. I'm thrilled that you took a step now. Let's keep going. I love that. One of my favorite things. God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. You must realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. And no power in the whole universe except you, yourself, can prevent him from taking you to that goal. That is what you are in for. It is very important to realize that. If you don't, then we are likely to start pushing back and resisting him at some point. I think that many of us, 
I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel that we are now good enough, right? He pulled me out of the gutter. I'm a good person. What do we then say to him? Leave me alone. I'm a good person. You've taken me to the journey. I'm good. I'm a decent person. Now go fix someone else. I think many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel that we are now good enough. He has done all we wanted him to do. We should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. But this is a fatal mistake. We may be content to remain what we call ordinary people, but he is determined to carry out a quite different plan. That is why we must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time. When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well in the sense that some of his bad habits are now corrected, he often feels that it would be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When troubles come along, illnesses, money troubles, new kinds of temptations, he's disappointed. These things he feels might be have necessary, might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days. But why now? Because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will have to be very much braver or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to all us unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he thinks to, he, he means to make of us. And I'm positive you've heard this quotation. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas. Nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods and he is going to make good his words. If we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. 
Thoughts? When you invite Christ in, where are you going? Where are you going? It's a long journey. And He is willing to go the whole way and help you every step of the way. The problem is some of us don't see it as a long lifetime eternity journey and sometimes we are the ones that quit. I guarantee every one of you somewhere in your neighborhood, somewhere in near home has an unfinished house that has sat there for years. Tell me what happened. What do you think happened? Someone got all excited. They were thrilled, started building. And then they quit. They didn't calculate how long it was going to take, how far they were going to go, and they just stopped. And there it sits. And the Savior is saying, let's not be like those houses. Let's understand that this is going to be a lifetime process. And that he's okay with that. He's okay that it's going to take a long time. He's in it for the whole journey. Are you? Because one of the great messages of the New Testament is, do you understand where he's taking you? Because if you don't, there may come a moment where you walk away. Let me show you a couple of those in the New Testament. Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 starts with the feeding of the 5,000. Now, does anyone know? You, I think most of you know what kind of Messiah the Jews were waiting for, right? Remember, it had been, six, it had been 600 years since they had a king. Israel had a glorious king, King David, Solomon, they had a king and they had ceremonies where they honored their king. And then the Babylonians came in and slaughtered them and destroyed the kingdom. And from that moment on, Israel has never had a king. And they've never really been an independent nation. And then Jesus comes along and look at John chapter 6. What does he do in John chapter 6? He miraculously feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread. He takes five loaves of bread, two small fishes, and he feeds thousands of people. In fact, not only does he feed them, he fills them. He tells them, take as much as you want. Get full. And when they were full, how much did they gather up of what was left over? Twelve baskets. He didn't even start out with 12 items. And he gathered up 12 baskets of what was left over. Now tell me what you would think if he just did that. Look at verse 14. What do they think? What do they want to do? Look at 14 and 15. Let's read it. Nathan, do you mind? John 6, 14 and 15. Yes. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, 
to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. Okay, now keep going in John chapter 6. They want him to be king and march on Rome and we're going to have a king again and we're going to be an independent state and everything's going to be a great and I don't have to work anymore because he can feed us miraculously. My life is going to be just easy. Make or become be our king. So then he teaches what we call the Sermon on the Bread of Life. Long story short, Jesus said, I am not going to be that kind of king. And I did not come to save you from Rome. I came to save you from death and sin. But I will not save you from Rome. That is not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take away the yoke. I'm going to save you from death and sin. Well, they didn't want to hear it. Look at verse 60. They used the H word. They used the H word. I've heard the H word my whole life. What's the H word? It's hard. This journey is hard. It's too long. You're asking too much. We're going too far. You're changing too much of me. It's too hard. And so, verse 66, tell me what they do. Verse 66. From that moment, his disciples, not the curious people who were just watching him out of curiosity, his disciples walked no more with him. Who's the only person who can stop Christ from taking you all the way? You. And they chose that. They chose that exit ramp. I'm getting off. I'm not going to go all the way. It's too hard. But again, are you alone? Are you doing this alone? No. He's going to walk every step of the journey with you. But they just, this is too hard. This is too hard. And they, they walked away. Now there's this absolutely beautiful moment. Can you just imagine them walking away? I don't know. I'm no longer journeying with Christ. And he turns to the 12. And tell me what he asked them. Verse 67. A piercing question. What does he ask them? Will you also go away? When you realize that the journey is long and we're going to do this together and I'm going to take you to the very end, will you push me away? Will you go away? Tell me what Peter said. Where would I go? What other path is there? Where would I go? Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Is it a long journey? Yes. Do I have a lot of changing to do? Yeah. But where else would I go? Who else would I walk with? And I think that's 
how I would like to end this class on the divine gift of forgiveness is understanding that this is not something we do once or even for a while. I'm in, Lord. I know where we're going. I know, a lot of, I know I've got a lot of things to fix, but if you'll walk with me, I'm in. I'll go there. I'll work on my pride. I'll give up my bad habits, and I'm going to go all the way. That's the invitation, is we partner with Christ for eternity. Now, will there come a moment I pick up my own cross in that journey? Yeah. Will there come moments where he takes the cross and he carries it for me? Yes. But that's the journey. So back to C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a series of children's books so people would fall in love with Jesus. Did you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? Did you fall in love with Aslan? Oh my goodness, I love Aslan. So I love lions because I love Aslan so much. Every time I see a lion, it's just like, oh, because I love Jesus so much. And so he wrote these children's books so that we fall in love with Jesus. But he wrote into those stories these very messages. So in one of my favorites, in the sixth of the seven, in the silver chair, this girl named Jill has come into Narnia. She knows nothing about Aslan. She knows nothing about Narnia. All, she's been on a long journey, and she's very tired, and she's very thirsty. And she hears water running. So she goes towards the water. And guess what is sitting right in front of the water? A lion. Him. The lion. She doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know anything about him. All she knows is she's thirsty and there's a lion sitting in front of the water. Now, I just want you to picture me and Jesus. And I want to be happy. And sometimes I think happiness can be found some other way. And there he sits in front of the journey. And this beautiful little scene. Let me read right from the Chronicles of Narnia. Are you not thirsty? Said the lion. Oh, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? Do you see the request? I want to be happy. I think that's how to be. Could you just go away? The, the lion answered this only with a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? Isn't that what we're all kind of asking? Is it going to be hard? Will I have to change a lot? Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? I make no promise, said the lion. 
Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she came a step nearer. Do you eat girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming a step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. Tell me what Aslan said. There is no other stream. It was the hardest thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down and began scooping up water in her hand. It's when I open up the door and not only do I let him in, but I let him in for the whole journey. I'm in, Lord. Take me. I know it's going to be hard at times, and I know I need some fixing, and I'm willing, I'm willing to go. Take me. Let's go. We kneel down, and we start scooping up the water. Now listen to life with Jesus. Ready? It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You don't need to drink much of it. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. The only people who know that life are the people who let him in and go with him. The divine gift of forgiveness is given all along the way. But the destination is where he takes us to the very end. He will make us like him. The only person who can stop that, the only person who can prevent him from getting me to that point is me. You can't. You cannot, say, you cannot stop Jesus from taking me there. No matter how much you hate me, no matter what I'd ever done, you can't stop Jesus from taking me. Only one person can. And that's me. So my invitation to all of you, his invitation is jump in. Jump in today and taste the water. Jump in and know the sweetness of life with Jesus. And then keep going. Every step, all the way. I'm 54. Do you know what I thought my life would be like when I was 54? When I was your age? When I sat in those very chairs at your age and I pondered what my life would be like at 54? Everything fixed, all my problems fixed, my life just coasting. Guess what? <laughs> He's still working with me. I'm still broken. 
I still have things he's helping me fix. And so I have great days and I have hard days. And yeah, there are days sometimes I just want to quit because it's hard. And then he dusts me off and he gets me back up and he kisses me better and he holds my hand and we keep walking. And someday I'm going to be like him. The divine gift of forgiveness is that he's going to take you with him. And he's going to make you perfect. Of that I testify. The only person who can stop him is you. How about we do it together? How about we all do it together and then we can just find strength if today is the day you're stumbling and it's hard, maybe today's not my hard day and I can be there for you because tomorrow's going to be my hard day and you can be there for me. But that's where we're going. And of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.